Right. Good morning. We got a lot to jump into. Good morning. We've got a lot to jump into. Uh, so we're going to get right to it. Daniel chapter five, verse one, as we look at our, our vision of our of the world around us and and how we're supposed to be interacting with this world. Uh, Daniel chapter five, verse one, Belshazzar. The king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and he drank wine in the presence of that thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave a command to bring the gold and silver vessels, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the king of his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote uh, opposite the lampstand on a plaster of the wall in the king's palace, and the king saw part of the hand that was writing. And the king's countenance changed, and the thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosed at his knees, uh, uh, were loosed, and his knees knocked together. Uh, the king cried out loud, bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. And the king spoke, saying this to the wise men of Babylon. Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation will be clothed with purple, have a gold chain around his neck, and will be the third ruler of the kingdom. Now the king's wise men came. They could not read the writing or make known its interpretation. So the king, Belshazzar, was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed and his lords were astonished. Now the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you or let your countenance be changed. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of God. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom of gods were found in him. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, the king made him chief magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, soothsayers. And as much as the excellent spirit, knowledge, interpretation, Solving riddles, explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. So Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you the same Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard of you. The spirit of God's in you, and light and understanding and excellence and wisdom are found in you. So now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me so that they should read this writing and make known to me the interpretation that they could not give the interpretation of this thing. And I have heard of you that you can interpret and explain mysteries. So now, if you can read the writing and make known the interpretation, you'll be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around your neck, and you'll be the third ruler of the kingdom. And Daniel said before the king, keep your gifts and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king still, and I'll make known the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom of majesty and glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples and nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whoever he wanted, he executed. Whoever he wished, he kept alive. Whoever he wanted, he set up. And whoever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened in pride. He was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took glory from him. And then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the heart of animals, and his dwelling was with wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like cows, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew 
that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of Med and appoints over it whoever he wants. But you, his son, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this, and you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and you brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you praised the gods of silver, bronze, gold, iron, wood, and stone. They don't see, and they don't know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all of your ways, you haven't glorified. So then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and the writing was written. This is what the inscription that was written. Many, many, tekel uparsin. And this is the interpretation of each word. Many. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances, and you are seriously lacking. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple, and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he would be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. All right. Um, we talked last week about the criticism of the Bible, uh, and, and specifically Daniel, and how, how people really want to take down Daniel, and they want to do this because, as we said, Daniel is really, pretty accurate, and he's pretty detailed uh, when he makes his predictions. And so uh, Daniel's a thorn in the side of, of any uh, biblical scholar. And so any chance they can, well, we, we looked at some of the things that they criticize, and we're going to get back into uh, another theory a little bit uh, today. Uh, but... Um, the the manuscript that you see is a, a different um, a different manuscript. This is found in uh, the the um, Dead Sea. It's one of the Dead Sea scrolls, uh, the Dead Sea caves that where we found a lot of like Isaiah and various things like that. Uh, this was also in there, and this is called the. This is a a copy, obviously, uh, maybe a couple of hundred years later, of what, what's called the Nabonidus prayer. I mean, who's Nabonidus? Nabonidus was the father of Belshazzar. When, when Bible critics unearthed this little teeny tiny fragment, uh, which uh, is, is translated here, and you see some of the translations, so you're probably already reading through it. We'll get to it. Uh, they popped the corks. I mean, this was an exciting day for, for uh, people who do not like the Bible. And because they, they already knew some history, and this confirmed some history, and, and, and then this, this said, well, the book of Daniel's all wrong. Now, uh, one of the histories that we know is that here we have this whole story in Daniel chapter 5 that, that Belshazzar is the last king. And here he is pictured as the king. Uh, and we know from history, now Babylonians, they weren't so great at history, uh, but we do know the Persians uh, were good at history and, and Cyrus and various ones that came after that. And we know that Nabonidus was king right up until the, the end of of Babylon, when, or at least the end of its reign, not the end of its existence. Babylon continued to exist for a long time. But, but as an empire, as a ruling empire, when Persia conquered it that this night, as, as we're, we're looking at it, we, we have front row seats to the end of the Babylonian dominance in the world. And, and we know that Nabonidus was credited by the Persians as still being the ruler. So, so, that seems to contradict. We get this other thing here that uh, people want to criticize. We're going to get to some of the other criticisms 
in just a second. But I want to go through this because this is the Nabonidus prayer. And as I say, it's a fragment. There's some missing things. Um, it says, the words of the prayer said by Nabonidus, king of Babylonia, the great king, when afflicted with an ulcer on command of the Most High God in Tamar. I, Nabonidus, was afflicted with an evil or ulcer seven years and far from men, I something that they were missing that word there, whatever it is, until I prayed to the Most High God. And something, something, an exorcist pardoned my sins. He was a Jew from among the children of exile of Judah and said, recount this in writing to the glory and exalt the name of the Most High God. So I wrote this when I was afflicted for seven years by the Most High God with an evil ulcer during my stay in Tama, I prayed to the gods of silver gold, wood, stone, and lime, because I thought and considered them gods. Well, now that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, and, and so the, the conjecture is that um, whoever wrote the Bible wasn't Daniel, um, or, or maybe a later copier of the Bible, whatever it is, the story's wrong. And, and it, of course, they don't want it just to be a mistaken copying. They say Daniel made it up. Daniel was a, a person that wrote later, uh, he didn't really live during this time. He wasn't one of the exiles. He wasn't anything like that. Uh, he was a, the, the Daniel who wrote this book here, what wrote later, and he had this, maybe this particular document for source material. And, and having this for source material, what he did was he kind of combined the bad guy, which was Nebuchadnezzar, more well known, with, with, uh, with some of this story and kind of made like what we call it in, in movies, it's called a composite character, uh, where, where we kind of take several stories um, from different people in one particular story. We just combine them in one, make one nice little story, shorten it up. And so, so this, this Nebuchadnezzar of Daniel is a composite character of maybe some of Nebuchadnezzar and maybe some of Nabonidus. And that explains a lot. Uh, so, for example, they say, well, this would explain the seven. Look at that. Seven years is so interesting. Right. And, and it would also explain why in the story of Daniel, uh, he, Daniel keeps on or the queen keeps on referring to uh, Belshazzar's dad. Um, well, Nabonidus was Belshazzar's dad. Nebuchadnezzar, we know, had had no... Nabonidus, who was the king, was not blood-related to Nebuchadnezzar. We know that he was a usurper. He actually killed the, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, who was in line for the throne at that point. Ne, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son, at the end of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's life, took over. Uh, he was assassinated by a brother-in-law or some other guy. Anyway, that guy was killed after a couple of months, and, and that guy uh, was either chased off or killed, and then Nabonidus came to the throne, uh, and, and so on and so forth. So... Uh, we have this, this history that can't, that doesn't make sense. Daniel doesn't make sense in history. The, the, and, and so this just confirms a lot of uh, what, they, um, what they want to believe. As, as I say, they, they popped the champagne corks when they saw this. And, and I would uh, add that they did so a little bit prematurely. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But what I want to tell you is this, and it, this is not going to be an evidences class, and a lot of this we're going to actually refer to uh, as, uh, as we go through this message as, as having more than just um, historical value. Uh, but it, it kind of explains some of our story a little bit. Though it looks like uh, 
like this is uh, kind of explaining and putting our modern understanding of Daniel and correcting maybe Daniel a little bit for us. I would like to encourage you not to accept the premise. First of all, critics will never, ever uh, stop criticizing. If you accept a little of their premise, you will find that they, it, doesn't, it only encourages them to be more critical. It doesn't, oh, yeah, we can come together on something. No, don't accept the premise, especially when it's not necessary. Um, going through these contortions to appease a, a critic of the Bible, an atheist or whatever, it doesn't help your cause any. Doesn't make you look more. Um, it doesn't make you look more noble to them. It just makes you look weak. So, um, compromise weakens your position. Even though it might seem helpful to point out alternate theories to what we know and modern theories and everything, the fact is is that it only weakens us. Um, I want to look at some of these things and, and illustrate why they celebrated prematurely. First of all, uh, this is not the same story. We notice here that uh, Nabonidus mentions an ulcer well, and never mentions any type of a mental disorder of thinking he was an animal. Right? There's two completely different things. So that's a, a big difference. Seven years, okay. Seven years is seven years. People have been affected by things for similar periods of time in history. There's, you know, seven years is seven years. Is it possible for two people to have some type of disorder for a similar period of time? Yeah, that's that's not outrageous. No, that's really the only thing that, if it wasn't for that, if one of these said four years and one of these said seven years, then then no one would think of this as as being the same. Story, but that seven years, boy, we get hooked on a number. We sure do. Uh, the second thing I would uh, look at here, he says that he was far from men until he prayed to the Most High God. Now, if you look at the original translation, and for the sake of space, I took it out, uh, but you will see that it says, "For seven years I was driven far from men." Uh, but the driven part, there's this, there's this gap here. You can see this gap in this thing. The, a lot of the the phrases, and where you see like dots here, and some of these. Uh, there's brackets and whatnot. Those are words that were added. So someone did what we call circular reasoning and assumed that these were the same stories. And so they inter, uh, what we call interpolated. They, they brought references from Daniel's story and put it in the translation of this document, assuming that they're references to the same story. But of course, if they're not references to the same story, then it makes no sense to put those in there. And so Nabonidus in this document, or what we have of this document, never claimed to be driven anywhere. He just showed that he was far from men. And he doesn't anywhere in here claim to be out of his mind. So, so those are two things. So he obviously went somewhere on his own. And why, we don't know. Uh, maybe he wanted to uh, to get away, or, or maybe he was having this struggle, which we're going to see with... with with polytheism, which kind of ends up a similar struggle from Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to see that why he might have had that and, and how his healing might come. Uh, the third thing I would bring you to is this, an exorcist part of my sins. Now, say, well, an exorcist of the Jews. Well, Jews wouldn't be exorcists. They, they, they had a pretty strict rule against that. Remember that Daniel was called a magician or a soothsayer. And 
uh, he wouldn't have been either of those. But these are Babylonians writing the history, and this is how they would have referred to them, much like Daniel didn't um, have his name. Uh, he didn't really answer to Belshazzar. He answered to Daniel, and he kept that identity. He doesn't care what, what other people think of him. Uh, he is who he is. You know, I'm Daniel, so you can call me what you want, but I'm, I'm Daniel. Um, and in fact, by the way, let, let's stop right there for a second. Do you notice when we read this that, that the, the queen comes in? Daniel has been, and we talked about this, and, and I just want, it's not a major point, but I want to show you. But by the time we, we talked about Daniel having his identity, and by the time we come to the last day of the empire, Daniel still has his identity. So much so that, that the queen barely references. She's, oh yeah, your, 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 your dad, or Nebuchadnezzar used to refer to him as Belshazzar. But she, uh, his identity as Daniel is accepted as his default identity. So Daniel does this and Daniel's that. Oh yeah, by the way, your dad used to call him Belshazzar. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who he's talking about. So anyway, so, so Daniel wouldn't have answered to, uh, I'm an exorcist, but this is the way the Babylonians thought of him. But here's a Jew from among the children uh, of, uh, of Judah. He's in exile, and, uh, and he pardons this guy since. Now, I personally think that a high-profile person who would be brought in before a king to do this would probably be the same guy that's come in before uh, to other guys, especially as we look at who uh, is heavily involved in this story here a little bit later. Um, but I want you to notice that in the story of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel never comes before Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if he was interpolating his story of, of Nebuchadnezzar in the first couple of chapters with this story uh, of, uh, of Nabonidus, Daniel, the writer of that book, if it was a fake book later, he would have made himself the hero, and he, and he has the perfect person to set up here as the hero himself. He has that perfect thing to set up. Here I am the hero. I came in uh, and I'm just going to change the name to Nebuchadnezzar. But but look at here I came. I was a Jew from among the exiles and I, I pardoned his sins. And look how great I was. He has the perfect ability to do that. But in our biblical story, Daniel is not pictured as being involved in any way in this recovery of, of Nebuchadnezzar. These are two different stories. They're two different events. Uh, oh, this, by the way, is a picture here of, of uh, Nabonidus. Um, this dates to their period in time. Um, and he's pictured worshiping the moon, the sun, and Venus. So this is prior, obviously, to the sickness uh, where he, he was... Uh, if you, you go back to that inscription we read, he says, I, I worship those things that I thought were God. So so it, so his prayer that that references kind of the same struggle that Nebuchadnezzar had. This this wrestling, this period of wrestling between God and uh, and these other gods. So it's possible that he was maybe not maybe he was not accepted in the courts. And this is why he's absent because he had kind of come to terms with poly, monotheism instead of polytheism and that was kind of not so uh, exciting for people. But I want to draw your attention here to a couple of verses. Daniel chapter 5, verse 2 and 3 says, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar's father had taken out in the temple, and so on and so forth. He and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Uh, now in Daniel chapter 5, verse 10, 
It says, The queen, because of the words of the king and the lords, came to the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. We're going to contrast these two verses, but this queen is pretty important. And, and as we go through the story, we, we know that she's the one that tells uh, Belshazzar, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, and she calls him, uh, he calls him his dad. By the way, that's not really a big problem in, in any biblical references or ancient references. Um, dad could be grandpa. We know that. Um, you say, well, what are you saying? But his his dad had a different dad. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But even still, the Bible references people uh, by father or son, not always by having any familial connection, right? Remember, we are children of Abraham, but most of us are actually a Gentile people with no blood connection. But why are we children of Abraham? On a concept, on, on a concept of uh, of faith, by, by exhibiting similar uh, character traits, we are called his children. And, and so a person could be called a son by virtue of the fact of having a similarity of succession, uh, that, that this man had a connection to Nebuchadnezzar by virtue of the throne of Babylon, so that they, they could be called, in that sense, loosely, a father and a son. However, we're going to see that, that there is a, a different connection, and it's possible that there is, though though uh, not directly through the father's line, there is a connection. We also want to notice, uh, before we get into the comparison of this, that the, this generational thing that we've talked about, and I want to notice this, this queen. Uh, notice here, and one more thing that we, we look at is, is him making... Uh, he, he must be the king because he's, here he is extending this, this opportunity for, uh, for Daniel to be uh, in power. Notice in Daniel chapter 5 that he has wives, right? He has wives and concubines. But you notice that in Daniel 5, 2, and 3, none of them are called the queen. None of his wives are referenced as the queen. He doesn't say the queen and, and some of the wives and concubines. But down at Daniel chapter 5 and verse 10, a queen comes in. Well, that tells us that this queen is not his wife. Well, if this queen is not his wife, who is she? Well, we know whose wife she is because we know who the king is from history. In history, there is a king by the name of Nabonidus, this guy's dad. The queen is Belshazzar's mom, not his wife. He's got wives. None of them are the queen yet. I want to bring in one more verse here. Daniel chapter 5, verse 7. Whoever reads this writing, this is him talking, uh, and he repeats it to Daniel, will be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and be the third ruler in the kingdom. Why doesn't he offer second in the kingdom? Easily. He's the second in the kingdom. He's what's called a regent king, right? And, and so his mother would be the advisor to him because his a mother, being a woman, could not hold an official position. He is a, he's the regent king. So the best he can do is offer third because Nabonidus, uh, whether he's, he's, he's obviously somewhere else or, or whatever, uh, when, when Nabonidus isn't on the throne, he gives that to his son. And his son can only offer third. The queen then is the queen mother, what we would call the queen mother. And who is she? Well, Babylonian chronicles 
talk about Cyrus launching an invasion against a, a woman, this is earlier than the fall, uh, called Necronitis. Uh, or Necritus, or whatever her name is. Anyway, something uh, uh, to that effect. There's a, a lady by a similar name in Egypt, and then, and then much later, this one in Babylon. And she is believed to be, and this will tie it all together for us, the daughter, or one of the daughters, of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, look at that. Isn't that interesting? That would place her... At an interesting place in history. It would place her around the time and to know and to see her father suffering from various things and seeing Daniel come in and fixing the situation. That would mean that she recalls this, a similar situation with Nabonidus, her husband. And uh, so that when her husband goes through a similar thing, she calls Daniel. Hey, there's this guy. That would explain, if, if the Nabonidus prayer that we read, if that is accurate history, and I have no reason to doubt it, that would explain who this other soothsayer is, right? This other Jewish guy who comes in and forgives sins and talks about the God of the Most High, you know, that, that, that guy that forgives sins, that would explain a lot of this stuff. So as I say, um, there's a lot of, uh, c- celebrating, and there's a lot of criticism, but when we look at it, it all kinds of comes out in the wash, and once again, we can go home and rest assured that the Bible is what it says it is, and that history um, is accurate uh, in in portraying the Bible as it is. This is not an evidence class. I say a lot of these things to to set up our class. This is a story of rejection. And so often we see in, as we see in the story, a repetition of mistakes, right? We saw some mistakes. Nebuchadnezzar repeats his own mistakes, and then it looks like his son repeats those, or his, uh, uh, his, uh, his, guess, a a successor uh, from a different line repeats the same mistakes, and that guy's son repeats the same mistakes, and we see the, the burden of time in Daniel. Daniel comes to Babylon as a young man, probably what, 15 to 17. He's made a long, he's made a long march, survived it, so he's fairly healthy. We know that, that Babylon is uh, in, in power for 70 years and that he survives that. So we've got to have a kind of a younger age uh, coming, but not too young. So... We, we saw that Nebuchadnezzar's kind of trajectory took 12 years of up and downs, and that's got to take its toll. So that, you know, after that, there's a, this period of, of, of years where it, you know, it seems to be going well. Another 25 to 30 years of, of going well for the, for the kingdom under Nebuchadnezzar. No history written, nothing major goes on once Nebuchadnezzar figures out what's going on. Then Daniel retires, I guess. Daniel goes off and does whatever Daniel's doing. And then, uh, and then all this period, there's a period of turbulence. Uh, those kings and being assassinated and all that, that covers a period of about six years. And finally, he has to come in. And then we has to start over. Here's, here's a guy on the throne and there's this wrestling with God. 
and, and woods and stone. And, and God says, all right, so we're going to have to have a similar process with Nabonidus. And so who does the daughter call in? She calls old Daniel. We see in our culture, it's kind of a similar thing, where we see grandparents raising grandkids. It's kind of a similar thing. Um, we have a, you know, a generation that hasn't been as responsible as it should with, with kids. We're actually really two generations. And so over, over the last 30 to 50 years, we've seen grandparents have to do more of, of, of a mentoring role than they should. You know, grandparents, they move into this category around their late 40s to 50s and into their 60s, and they want to be given candies, and they want to be, you know, sugaring up the kids uh, and give them, buy them stuff and, and, and presents and, and then send them home, you know, for, for mom and dad to deal with. That's really the grandparents' role. That's, that's what we want to be doing here. And instead, they have to be dealing with diapers. They have to do discipline. And that's, that takes a toll on grandparents. It's difficult because that's not where we're at. We already did that. I don't want to have to start over. And here we look at Daniel. And Daniel's a 55, 60-year-old man when, uh, when the queen mother calls. She's the, you know, she's the what? She's just the queen at this point. And, her husband, Nabonidus, is having some ulcer problems. And, and she's pretty sure she knows that she's seen this, something like this before. And he's worshiping the moon. He's a big moon worshiper. And, uh, and so she calls him in. Daniel has to come in and, and kind of take this mentoring role. He's like, I did this 30 years ago. I have to do it again. Same mistakes over and over. Add to it the fact that this guy has seen a, a, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson killed. He'd kind of built a relationship with Nebuchadnezzar, and he's got this is the guy that killed him, and he's got to go and talk to this guy. That's probably not an exciting conversation. You got to repent of your sins. You've done some bad stuff, and on top of it, you're worshiping the wrong gods. You're going to have to fix some things. Well, I want you to know that interactions are not a formula. It seems to be going so well so far. Daniel chapter 5, verse 14, 15. Here's, here's, and it seems to be going great. Because he comes in. Here we are. Flash forward, the last day of the empire. Little Belshazzar is scared. So the queen mom, an older lady by now, She's probably a few years younger than, than, than Daniel, I assume. But uh, her son is scared. So in comes great uncle Daniel. Now he's already done this as a, a grandpa, kind of, really. But now he's 85 or 90 years old. And he's got to come in and save the day again. Now, I, I, it's one thing for grandparents to raise grandkids. But great-grandparents... Raising great-grandkids? That's crazy. But that's what we have. He's got to come in and talk to this guy and save the day again. And so he comes in and probably uses the same formula that has gone on forever with him. And it's always worked. Worked with Nebuchadnezzar, more or less, until eventually God stepped in and made it work. Same thing, uh, same formula. Well, interaction, unfortunately, doesn't simply boil down to a formula. Now, he uses a formula, 
And it seems to be going well. I mean, it, it looks like it's going well before it even gets started. I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, enlightened understanding and excellence wisdom. Oh, man, this is going to be a piece of cake. I have almost no work to do. He's already there. He's kind of got a grip on, on history and everything. And he's got a you know kind of an understanding of who I am and what to expect. I just got to kind of... I just got to kind of nail it home and uh, we can sign the dotted line and things get going. So he uses the right approach, but he's going to end up, it's not going to be the result we want. See Daniel chapter 5, 18. He begins with kind of what we would, we would call uh, the conciliatory opening. Nice. Establish a relationship. Establish some kind of common ground, uh, something nice where we can kind of start things off on a friendly foot. Oh, king, the most high God gave you Nebuchadnezzar, your father, king, and greatness and glory and majesty. And, oh, yes, you're great and wonderful. This is nice. The head of gold and all of the things. So there's the right approach. Daniel chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 says, Because of all this greatness, he gave him all these things and wonderful. He's still with the conciliatory. Ah, but he wasn't humble. So, so he goes through all this thing. He, he talks about what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. So there's this comparison to the past. He, he's a, you see kind of a trend here between what you're doing and what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. So, so we bring up the past and we're making the, uh, this logical comparison. We, we present the gospel. We want it to be a logical discussion of, of what is reality. Well, he com- continues on into verse 22 and 23. He says, however you, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. So he makes the practical application. These are the things that have happened. This is how it turned out. You haven't done this. And here's what you're doing. Right? And, and so that kind of ends up in verse 26 to 28, the unvarnished conclusion. He's like, this is the message. We Here's the bad news. Many, many tekel al-parsin. You've been weighed, but you're you're lacking I hate to give you the bad news, but I gave the bad news to a number of people. I gave the bad news to your uh, to your predecessor here, Nebuchadnezzar, your grandpa. Uh, I'm giving you the bad news to you, or to I gave the bad news to your, your your dad, and I'm giving the bad news to you. All right, this is the news. And so he's used the same approach as he's always used. And then verse thirty, that very night, Valshazzar, the king of was killed. Wrong result. What happened? It comes down to the heart of the man, and we see that throughout this. Daniel makes reference to his heart, his heart, 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 being lifted up, heart, not humble. It comes down to the heart of the man. So he didn't listen. Maybe he thought he had another day. Maybe I don't know what he thought. In uh, 2008, I met a, a girl. She she became she started coming to our church. Her name was Liana Hamienko. Um, she had been in uh, the hospital. Uh, she just happened to be in the same hospital room as Galena. Galena uh, was a member of our church and a very evangelistic lady. And 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 got talking to this girl, and she, she started coming to church. I baptized her, I think, in 2009 or 2010. And, and uh, uh, she was she had terminal illness. She had AIDS and hepatitis C. Uh, she died in January of 2011. On the way to uh, the funeral, 
I stopped by a, um, a little flower shop, bought some flowers, and met a lady named Oksana. I started talking to her and, and telling her she was interested. You know, here we are in American, and I'm buying flowers. So it was a point of conversation. So, so we started talking, and, and uh, uh, I ended up with a Bible study with Oksana. Uh, 2011 was one of the years that we ended up coming back to the United States to visit churches that supported us. Went back um, in the in the early fall, and uh, was going to or no, we came back in the we came back in the summer uh, for a VBS. And um, so after the VBS, I was going to try to hook back up with with Oksana to to continue our Bible studies. Uh, went to her house, couldn't couldn't find her there. Uh, so I said, well, she, I know where she works, <laughs> and uh, couldn't forget that. So I went to her place of work here. Now this is like, you know, our, our trips to the United States about three or four months. So this is about four months later. And uh, I, uh, when there's, Oksana's not there. Well, maybe, I don't know, maybe she's fired, but or left to quit or whatever. So I, I asked the lady if, if she knew where Oksana went, and the lady just looked at me with this blank stare and I found out um, she had been murdered in her stairwell. Um, I think she had been a witness to a a drug, uh, something with drugs, and they killed her. You know, you look at that and it's just what happens to one person and what happens to everybody thinks that they have another day. Everybody thinks that, that life just goes on. And maybe that's what this guy was thinking. You know, I'm kind of in the middle of a party, Daniel. Um, I got all the nice stuff out. It, it, it was, it, by the way, I mean, it was kind of nice for, you know, here's the last day. And um, you got all the stuff out of storage. You got it ready for Cyrus to pack up and, and take to Persia. You got all the temple stuff and get it ready to go uh, for for. For Cyrus, but, but we've got all this stuff out, and uh, we're, we're kind of using it right now. We're kind of having a big time. Can, can we talk about this tomorrow? He, I mean, he seems to be, you know, open to the idea of, of something, but you can't always, or, or maybe he was just, you know, maybe he wasn't really serious. Maybe he was, maybe he was just playing. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't believe that stuff. I, I don't know what his thoughts were, but I know what the result was, and the result wasn't what you want. He didn't have seven years to figure it out. He had one night to figure it out. And you don't know if you have seven years or one night to figure it out. Daniel's key, I think his, his big thing in life is his, <clears throat> his stability. <coughs> of course, we know he doesn't get too low. We've seen a lot of lows. He's been attacked. His friends have been attacked. And we've seen rejection after rejection after rejection. We said that this is kind of what this story is about. Multi-generational rejection. Even within each lifespan, lots of rejection, ups and downs. Seems to be going good. Then it doesn't. We've observed that he doesn't get too low. But this is interesting. He doesn't get too high. We we look here in Daniel 5, 16 and 17. We're not going to read it all. but, But we see... Daniel get offered all this nice stuff and it 
and it seems, and we've seen numerous references in this chapter, things seem to be going the right way. Even, even, in, uh, even if we back up to the stories of Nebuchadnezzar, he, you know, we see Nebuchadnezzar seemed to start getting going the right way, and we don't, we don't see Daniel just go off the rails positive and excited. Wow, what a, I mean, we have a great conversation with somebody, and it's just like the beginning of the conversation, and we get so excited. And I'm not saying it's bad to, to, to start thinking positive, but then the next day, the people you talk with are, are right back where they were, and we get down. It's not a formula. You don't just pop in the right words and, and everything goes the way you want. I talked with two people when we first went over. These were the two people, Galena, who I just mentioned, her daughter, Natasha, and Eugene, and I've talked quite a bit, bit about him probably, uh, our translator. Eugene was a sponge for anything I said. He was just so interested. I'm like, this guy's going to, he's going to get it. Uh, Natasha, Natasha was a hard nut to crack. I wasn't sure she was, I mean, I wasn't like, you know, pessimistic, but I wasn't quite sure she was ever going to get it. She was so skeptical about everything you said. I don't know. So I thought, boy, she's going to be a tough nut to crack. Uh, she might take years, years and years. Um, Genya is going to take one month. One month will, will have, will happen. Maybe two months. Two months will, will Genya will, two months. Uh, maybe th three months. Genya oh, might get it in three months. Or four, maybe four months. And it kind of proceeded like that. I was wrong on both accounts. They were baptized on the same day, proving me wrong on two accounts. He didn't take one month, and she didn't take multiple years. It was it was about one year. We can't boil it down to a formula. Daniel doesn't get too high. We want we want to know, and we want to be able to predict. Daniel just kind of stays even keel. He takes it as it comes. We need to take it as it comes. That each interaction that we have, let it be what it is. And, and let the heart of the people decide. It is not for you to determine the results. It's for God to determine the results. Not that God makes people saved or, or doesn't. But, but it's, that's up. I'm just saying put that in God's hands. And let God deal with that. We, we ended last week with the challenge to, to be the st stable force in people's lives. The problem is, is that you can't do that until you're stable yourself, until you have this characteristic that Daniel had. And so our challenge today as you leave is to grow deep for yourself, to be stable to, to be able to weather the ups and downs of a long life, if that's what God gives you. There's lots of ups and downs. You're going to see lots of things that excite you. There's going to be lots of things that, that would depress you. If you're not stable through the highs and the lows, if, if you go way high up, and, and, and I'm not saying you can't get excited when, you know, when, when someone becomes a Christian, get excited by all means. 
But but when you just get that first little positive thing and you're off the charts, you're prepped for a big down when they reject it. So grow deep. Be stable. Kind of live in an even keel. If we're going to make the long journey, we have to be balanced in our highs and in our lows. I'm going to turn it over to you, uh, Travis. Travis.